welcome to Three Thinkers Podcast. I'm your host, along with my co-hosts, Chad and Urkan. Today, we're very lucky to have Ruja Kia, Ruja Kia uh, on. She's a social justice activist. And one of the things we like to do at Three Thinkers is learn about current events and things going on in the world that we don't know that much about. And right now, one country that's been in the news a lot for protests against the government is Iran. And so I want to kick it over to our guests, uh, guest, and hopefully Ruja can give us some insight into what's happening in Iran and tell us a little bit more, a little bit more about herself. Of course. Hi, thank you for having me on your podcast. Um, it's it's always it's always amazing when um, when we can have a diverse um, audience kind of hear about things that are going on um, across oceans from them. Um, so, just to tell you a little bit about myself, I am um, an immigrant from Iran. I was born in Iran. I grew up in America, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Actually, is where I grew up. Um, I am based out of California at this point. Um, Southern California, to be more exact. Um, I work mainly in um, refugee um, immigration um, sort of um, spaces. Um, right now, I work with Ukrainians, previously with Iranians, Afghans, and so on. Um, and I say this because um, it's important to kind of let you know about the work that I do. Um, the first time I left Iran was, um, I was probably about like four or five years old. We went to um, Greek and then another travel to Cyprus. And we were trying to um, leave Iran, not necessarily very legally at that point. Um, and this was due to a revolution that had just happened um, when I was a child and a lot of the unrest and a lot of issues that were happening um, and a lot of problems that um, that many people were having, uh, especially um, certain families and especially women, obviously, because of the regulations that had changed. Um, so that's a little bit of throwback that brings us to what is happening now. Um, we are having um, an amazing revolution that has just started within the past 80 days. And it's been called a women's revolution um, with the uh, slogan, women, life, freedom. Um, and that is a little bit about me and why I'm here and what I like to talk about. So one thing that I love is that you did send us some great links that gave us great information about what's going on in Iran. And <clears throat> maybe going back to even the 90s there have been different periods of unrest in iran uh going back to the hatami administration but what is it for for the lay person out there that might not be for, as familiar with what's going on what is different about the protests right now i mean to me it, it seems like the current protests first of all are la have lasted way longer than the unrest that lasted before and and what are some other ways that it's different than past unrest in Iran. Yeah, so um, I mentioned the revolution that happened in the 70s in Iran. Um, ever since then, I would um, guesstimate about every 10 to 15 years, we've had had some sort of an un unrest happening inside Iran. Um, every year, 
um, I feel it has grown and has become more severe. Um, focus has changed from different topics. Um, one of the issues that is particularly important with what is happening now and sets it and, and, and separates it from everything that's been going on for the past um, 40 years or so uh, is the fact that the focus of people have been changed to more human rights issues, um, political demands that are very specific to um, changing the regime and changing the structure that is happening. Um, previously, during Khatami um, in 2020, um, with the protests that were going on back then in 2009, um, the, the themes would change from economical demands to to dif different sort of um, class structures, um, things that would be specific to maybe some populations and not to the rest. There would be a separation between um, student movements, um, labor movements, whereas the past 80 days, everybody's come together. Um, the ethnic uh, populations in Iran um, working with um, the students with with the the labor unions and everybody is continuing this this uh, the 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 movement that basically has now been called a revolution the past 80 days has been out of uh, the solidarity all, of all of these people that are basically cohabiting and living all inside Iran um i you know one thing i i think it's <clears throat> my understanding and when I think about Iran, you know, Iran is very diverse culturally. And even the the different revolutions and different protests have even the the revolution in 1979 initially involved many different groups. It did not just involve uh, people uh, who were protesting for religious reasons. It did not just involve the mullahs supporters It involved socialists, liberals, a ton of groups who were looking for a change for the better, for the betterment of every of everybody. And I guess what what do you think like what inspires you to stay active in in kind of the social, the solidarity protests and and, and trying to support the protests within Iran from the outside. So the reason I stay in solidarity is um I just I just think we were just kind of I was maybe born into this. This is something that I kind of have to do. I come from a lineage of very strange women, <laughs> but very strong women. Um my mother was a was a single mom, a uh, single parent. Uh, she's a CPA in America. Um, so she was educated, she had a job, and she she chose to get a divorce in Iran, where this is not something even today, it's it's kind of a taboo. I mean, imagine when I was a baby. Um, and the fact that that she was able to do all that stuff, right? So so I think a little bit of it is that I have that privilege um, that, that kind of allows me to even be involved in these spaces or be aware of these spaces. But to kind of take it back to, to what you were referring to in, in the beginning, um, all of the groups that are kind of coming together and working together right now, um, you know how we call this a women's revolution, right? Um, and, it's, and it's beyond just the fact that, that a girl was murdered for choosing to, to come out 
dressing the way she liked in some points, right? Because she wasn't even necessarily dressed the way she wanted because we we have the compulsory hijab. Um, but within that structure of the compulsory hijab, she was basically arrested, taken into custody, was murdered, died in custody of police because she had a little bit of hair showing and her clothes were a little bit tight on her body, right? Um, so so when we kind of look at this as as a women's revolution, it's very important to kind of look at the structure and how it's it's also different from how um, the 70s revolutions were. Um, during the, the Islamic revolution um, of 76, you had all these groups, right? The liberals and the left and the, the communists and just all of them, right? The the religious, the so on and so forth. Um, these were all specific groups that people belonged to, right? Very patriarchal, systematic um, fathers of, you know, the, the liberal party and the left and, and the Khalq and the, and, and the MEK and like all these groups, right? And these are all very men-led, very hierarchical organizations, um, whereas today, you really don't, we don't necessarily identify a leader for the revolution that is happening, right? It's a very, it's a very um, circular sort of, sort of a movement, um, which I, I believe is very much of a, um, in line with, um, with, with a feminine ideology um, and, and the structure of, of feminist movements in, in, in different ways. Um, you don't really have that hierarchical systems. You don't really have those structures that are preset. Um, and, and I think that's another one of those very important differences that, that if you want to specifically um, compare this this revolution to to the to the seventy six revolution and and the and the divisions um, that 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 existed um, with the different groups, we really don't have those groups right now. At least the past eighty or so days, we really have not had any group that come has has come out and called for any kind of an action or called for any kind of a movement or or has taken responsibility for this was a protest that we called or so on and so forth inside Iran. Um, and I think it's it's very important and it makes it a, such a feminine kind of a um, ideology in a sense. Do you mind if I ask a question at this point? Uh, Ru um, Absolutely. Go no, ahead. Yeah. Uh, Ruja, I'm, I'm wondering, based on what you just said, um, that you said that there's a kind of there's no there's no definition as such to this to, to this this uh, revolution that's taking place, and I wonder whether you see that. You, so you see that as a kind of strength, but could it also be a problem in some ways? I wonder. You know, um, is it is it kind of rudderless in that way? Or potentially rudderless? Is it does it lack kind of oh. uh, a kind of cause an objective in some way? Do you think it could or potentially it could lack that? So I don't think it's necessary. I think it's more of a positive thing, right? Personally speaking. Um, again, we have to do a study and, and do an actual, you know, comparison and figure out if 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 we want to be very specific. Um, personal opinion, I find it to be more of a positive thing. Of course, when you don't have a leader and you don't have that hierarchical systems, you don't necessarily have the structures. Um, which is a point that I'm going to get to because it's a very important point um, in, 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 to add to this. Um, but as far as just logistical, right, um, setting up um, 
a, um, an action, right? To call for a protest or call people to come out or or anything like that. Obviously, if you don't have um, a, a predetermined um, structure in place to kind of communicate that, it would become harder, right? And given the fact that uh, that inside Iran, um, the government has um, restricted a lot of websites. There's like filtering happening. There's the the slow internet that is that is um, people are dealing with with those kind of problems. Um, it it makes it a bit harder for people to get organized and come out together. But I think a lot of people are sort of organizing in smaller groups, just neighbors together, and they all come together ten at a time and. In many ways, that's necessary because it's happening in situ, right? So it's it's it's, it's an ongoing sort of thing, right? It's yeah, yeah, developing. Yeah. yeah. So and and the thing that is that is happening from what I hear, um, I'm not inside Iran, obviously. So from what I hear, people come out in smaller groups and they just kind of join each other, and somebody starts chanting, and then other people sort of get involved. Um, we have had calls. Um, and and this is another thing that's been um, a very um, interesting development that a lot of the Iranians inside Iran and Iranians out in diaspora have been sort of working together. Um, a lot of times we're the ones that are posting and hashtagging and making sure the news is kind of spreading. Um, when they attacked um, Evan Prison um, a couple months, um, it's I think it's like a month and a half now. Um, and the fire that was happening, there was a call out for everybody to kind of show up. And um, th there are calls like that. And and I think people are coming together to sort of, you know, um, stop the regime from um, inflicting as much harm as they possibly could and trying to kind of stop them. What are the factions that might be vying for power? Is there a potential power vacuum? What do you think that might look like? So the question is when, it's not if, <laughs> when. Okay. So when the regime is gone, right? Um, so when the regime is gone, um, I mean, I can't predict, I don't, I don't wanna name any groups necessarily. Um, it's just, you you mentioned prior to revolution of 1979 or um 76 sorry um there were there were a lot of different fractures right um they all came together we had the revolution and and the agreement was that after the revolution wins and and the the shah um who was the oppressor at that point um was removed then all these groups were going to come sit down and talk about justice and um, what justice looks like and what justice looks like for different for different groups and what demands are and so on and so forth right but but as we say the revolution was literally stolen um because as soon as Khomeini took over even though he had said that he didn't want power and he was just gonna go to Qom and just do his clerical stuff that's not what he did. That's not what it, it happened. And and he came, took power, basically murdered everyone. And then we had the war, which made it harder for the country to basically, um, you know, rebuild itself and find itself. And then we had, um, we had the the mass executions of um, um, the eighties. Um, I want to say eighty eight, um, but it could have been eighty six. 
the the mass executions of the 80s where you know thousands and thousands of people were were basically executed um and 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 these sort of happened right after each other and and then the Islamic regime was in power and there was nobody that could do anything and then we've had all these like little actions and now the, the revolution um so this is something that that we that we sort of have to be aware of right that we this is this is not that long ago it's only 40 some odd years ago um and this is something that that we have to be very smart about and that's why i always tell people that you know it's great that we're all united and we're all coming together against this common enemy um but we need to first, I think, take a step forward and say our common enemy is the ideology, the oppressor. Um, it's it's the system that is harming, as opposed to just Mr. X and Y, who is obviously a, a criminal and needs to be um, dealt with as far as that is concerned, right? Um, so that's that's number one is moving from um, having that one person be our enemy to that ideology and that system be our enemy, um, and then take the next step and and move on to now. This is what I like to see. These are the freedoms, and um, what is it they say? Um, nobody's free until everybody's free. So um, so you have to have the most oppressed person who happens to live inside Iran have their freedoms and their legal rights. And at that point is when you can say that the country is truly free and everybody has um, equal rights and, um, and is, is, freed of, is, freed, is freed from uh, oppression and tyranny. I wanted to jump in and say that um, <clears throat> I, I totally get what you're saying um, in terms of making sure everyone's voice and post the, you know, post Molas and post the current regime, make sure everyone has their voice because yeah, you're right. Some people, some, for example, some business interests, you know, they want, they want regime change so they can privatize certain industries in Iran. And, and, and a lot of that, the social stuff gets, put on the on the back burner and i think one thing i want to mention is that iran and iran's recent history is really in the you know with iran's recent history iran you know the west had now one of the biggest diasporas um has come about because of the sanctions and the oppressive nature of the the um Khomeini and Khomeini's regime and what type of relationship or how important is that that diaspora I mean you touched upon it a little bit but how important is that diaspora currently to get the message out about what's happening in Iran I mean you touched on it a little bit but you know there's a lot of you know Iran has one of the biggest brain drains and, and one of the the biggest um you know uh you know, biggest brain drains in the world since 1980 because of the sanctions is what's in and the different events that have happened in Iran. So I'm going to yield the floor. Um. So what I say is, I am only my own voice. At best, what I try to do is echo the voices of people who live inside Iran. Um. 
as someone who grew up in America with all the privileges I've had, um, which is a very, very important issue for me, um, it, I, I find it to be sort of a duty to to not speak for anybody that lives inside Iran, right? So um, I don't know if the diaspora, the Iranian diaspora necessarily agrees with that, with my point in that, in that aspect. Um, I would like us to agree that, um, that the future of Iran should be made by people who actually live inside Iran. Um, because regardless of how involved I am with the day-to-day -day activities that are happening inside Iran, and, and I mentioned I work with refugees, so I literally talk to people who have left Iran an hour ago, right? I actually went, I, I was in Greece for two years and I worked in the refugee camps. So um, literally I, I was working with people who had left and just got on off a boat, right? Um, and then wanted to sort of continue on. And then here in America, people who are going through this process. Um, so e even though I am hearing this firsthand accounts, right, from people who have been out of the country so little time, I don't with certainty say that I know what it is that they want. Um, and I don't know if, um, as you mentioned, the, the diaspora, the, the Iranian diaspora is very educated, very smart. They're very well ad adapting to, you know, the life outside of Iran in Canada, America, Europe. Um, this is not to say 100% of us are successful. Obviously, that's not that's not the case. But generally speaking, right, uh, this is something that we take pride in. Um, but many of us have been out of Iran for at least 40 years, right? Um, 30 years, 20 years. Um, and and I just, I, I like to be careful when as someone who has been out of a country um, and has lived with the privileges that we live with outside of Iran, um, I, I would I would want us to be very careful with making decisions or, or speaking about what we think, um, is good for for people who are living inside Iran, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, th absolutely. Go ahead, Chad. So, I was going to say thanks, Ruja. I guess a, a follow up question for me might be, what would Iran have to look like for you to to want to go back for any significant amount of time? And that, I don't necessarily mean to to live there permanently, but maybe even just to spend an extended vacation, to spend time there, to to want to go back. To, to Iran for, for some amount of time. What, what would it have to look like for you to feel good about that, for you to want to do that, do you think? So again, <laughs> I'm very strange as far as answering this question is concerned. Um, we had a protest um, February 2nd. Um, there, was a, there was a feminist call to have a protest. Um, and we, had, we, we organized the one here in Orange County. And I said it there. Um, to someone because they made me angry, actually. <laughs> I said it to them because they made me angry. But um, but I told them what we're doing here isn't for us. We're not going to be moving back to Iran. 
what we're doing here is to make sure that people that are inside Iran, their voices are heard, their causes are, you know, um, sort of brought into um, into the limelight. But um, having said that, I do work social justice, right? And after revolution, I think I will have a huge amount of jobs that I would have to kind of, um, or could be, um, could be used for inside Iran. So that's, that is one aspect of it, right? Um, we actually talked, I actually, we had this discussion with a friend of mine. Um, she works mainly in like Turkish, um, she's, she's worked in Turkey a lot. Um, and, and she was talking about how, um, what Turkey did was they made it so people were coming from outside, they got better positions, they got better pay, so on and so forth to kind of attract people that are coming from from the outside. Um, I just think when this revolution happens, we're still going to have a lot of problems, right? So um, uh, I think 10% of the population of Beverly Hills is Iranian. I don't know if 10% of Beverly Hills is going to actually move to Iran unless they're really offered something you know, that would make it worthwhile, right? Because for us living in America with all the issues that we have here and the, all the work that I do here as, you know, someone that does the type of work that I do um, and all the activism that we do here, still, we do have a certain amount of um, security um, in the matter of security in, in all aspects, right? Monetary is, as, as, as far as like, as far as being a woman, as far as, you know, being a minority and, and a person of color, so on and so forth, right? Um, now, after the revolution happens in Iran, this is not going to be an overnight thing, right? So there's going to be all of these stuff that needs to happen. Um, there is huge issues happening as far as ethnic issues that need to be addressed, um, uh, LGBTQI issues that need to be addressed in Iran. There's a lot of um, intercultural um, th there's a, a lot of patriarchal practices that are within the structure of families um, that that need to be kind of addressed. We always say that um, with the morality police, we have a saying, well, a lot of women in Iran, we have a saying that say that, that we don't just have the morality police in the streets that we have to deal with. A lot of us have, have grown up with the morality police that is our fathers and our brothers and our uncles. So there's all of those issues, right, that would kind of have to be addressed uh, before anybody, I think, could realistically, I mean, I can be idealistic and be like, the day that the revolution happens, I'm going to go to Iran, it's my country, right? But if I want to be realistic about it, um, I am not sure how realistic of a thought that is, um, taking away all the stuff that I just mentioned, the fact that, you know, there's all this work that needs to be done and and um, and the fact that I actually have twice gone back to Iran um, to try to work there. Um, I worked with international students once and I worked with um, um, Afghans inside Iran. Um, I was there for about a year. My whole family is here, so I just was there on my own, which was very strange kind of a situation um, as a woman with an American passport living by herself. Um, interesting. Um, and I worked with a lot of the migrants that that were coming from um, um, the border um, towns in inside Iran. Um, so so I have gone back and I have 
sort of worked in, in a couple of those situations um, previously. Um, I can't go back now, obviously, with everything that I'm doing, but um, but um, but yeah, I think I like to be idealistic and say, you know, the revolution happens and we're all going to move back home. Um, but I don't know how many second generation Iranians are going to be willing to leave their friends and their education and their homes and their cars and all of that stuff. And I mean, if we want to be realistic, right? Um, I don't know. <laughs> you, you mentioned the morality police. So I, I, I think that might be an interesting thing to, to touch on. I mean, again, you're, you mentioned the idea that there's potentially a, a, an official morality police as well as sometimes a morality police within the homes. Um, we, we, we heard, officially, we heard the abolishment of the morality police on December 5th. That's exactly what I wanna to get to. Do you believe it? Is this, is this propaganda? Is it really going to be abolished or are they going to abolish it in name and have a workaround? What do you, what do you think is happening with that idea of abolishing the morality police? After the news came that this one person said, actually, that they're going to be abolishing the, the morality police, and we all laughed at it. Um, you all know the, the stories of Achilles, right? The Greek Achilles, yes, right? Yep. So, so another saying, I've been telling you all these things, the Iranian sayings, another saying in Iran, um, people call hijab the Achilles heel of the Islamic Republic, do you think it's ever going to be abolished, right? Um, literally, I'm not even gonna, I mean, okay, don't quote me, but I wanna say less than 24 hours, but don't quote me on this, I'm not, I could be wrong. I have to check the timeline, but very fast after the news of this, um, air quotes, right? Um, this person saying that um, that the morality police is going to be abolished. There was um, uh, statements that were coming out about how um, how they were going to um, make uh, ban people who were uh, women, not people, ban women who were coming out without a hijab from having a bank account and restrict their like like. Um, residency privileges like in in that sense right like you can't have a bank account and you can't have you know the money transactions and jobs and all that stuff um so it's just i mean you you talk about banning something that is uh, dismantling something that is the, known as the achilles heel of a regime um first of all that's just we just don't think that's a very realistic even thing to think about um but then literally with the same breath and within like days you come out and say that you're going to restrict um you're not going to have the morality police but you're going to be restricting people's privileges in having women's privileges in having a bank account that's yeah no it's they're not going to the regime has to go and with the regime going the all these changes will happen and and there will be a choice as far as people deciding for themselves how they would like to be dressed. If they're religious, they want to wear whatever religious clothing, that's their choice. If they're not and they don't want to, that's their choice. And and that is going to happen when the regime is gone. Oh, I, I had a question. How much, 
so you talked about how in your family you come from a long line of independent-minded strong-willed women and how did that influence your not just your general activism but your work within refugee communities because i got to think among the diaspora the fact that you are constantly hearing the the testimonies and the stories and helping people who are new arrivals i got to imagine that's giving you a different perspective from people who are not involved uh in that and a different perspective on maybe events there and and um and, and what's going on so i think i think i i have a very um real struggle of keeping my privilege in check um and and we we talked a little bit previously but um so my grandmother's mother spoke French. That's my grandmother passed away a few years ago. She would have probably been 100 by now. So that's like 150 years ago, right? So I come from a very privileged background. Um, and and this, and I don't say this to say, oh, I'm such a special person. <laughs> that's, that's not the point. Um, but coming from that kind of a lineage, um, it makes it difficult because you always have these people that you you feel like you have to kind of live up with or live up to. The space of of um, immigrant and refugee populations was sort of one of these things that that I could do because of the privileges I had, right? So I moved here when I was uh, when I was in school. Um, I remember when I went to university, um, not not university, sorry, um, when I went to high school. Um, and I didn't, I didn't know this then. I learned later. Um, there were a lot of girls from Afghanistan that were coming to our school, and the principal would match me to them because I spoke Farsi, so to kind of help them navigate school. Um, and they were coming like with like a fiance visa, and they would get married. But we were in high school, right? So we were kids. Um, so it was one of these things that was always such a strange thing to me that like, why why are these kids getting married, right? And I learned later that because of the situation, the Taliban and the situation that was happening in Afghanistan, this was a way that families could kind of get their girls out, right? So I was kind of like thrown into this social justice environment at, as a teenager without even realizing it, just because I happened to have this privilege of being you know, able to speak English and be able to speak Farsi. And the reason I spoke both languages so well and could navigate through these systems was because of the privilege I had, you know, basically the lineage that I had. Um, and and by kind of being in that space, it started, I, I think I started just kind of seeing all these uh, inequalities that were kind of happening and, and things that women had to do in order to just survive. And, and putting that next to, of course, I had hardship, right? I mean, being a daughter to a single mom who got divorced in Iran, um, where whatever you did, any any schooling that I went to, they would put a piece of paper in front of me and it would have my father's information. And I literally, I remember I was in elementary school and I remember I would like before school, I would know that I, they would be putting this paper in front of me to fill it out. And I didn't know my father's name because I just never met him. So I would have to go look up my birth certificate and my documents, memorize the name of my father. So the next morning when I would go to fill out this paperwork, 
I wouldn't be the one that doesn't know what her father's name is, right? So like putting that experience next to this experience of there's this like 14, 15, 16 year old girl who is now married coming to America just to survive. And I, yes, I mean, I had hardships. Of course I did. But my move to America was very painless, right? In comparison. Um, so I think I think a lot of that just just was such a wake-up call to me. Um, I don't know, it just gives me chills when I think about it. But I think those those experiences just just kind of leave a mark on you. I was wondering, uh, Erkan, do you have any questions you'd like to ask? Yeah, I mean, um, so one, one thing that occurred to me when you were just talking before about what, what it is that Iran or, and Iranians want, let's suppose for a moment that the aim, the end game for Iran is to establish a kind of secularized Western style liberal democracy, right? Let's suppose for a moment, right? Uh, democracy can, is good. Can, I mean, you can you can critique my, my yeah, democracy is good in a moment. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, given what is happening in the Western world, because it's kind of ironic. Given what's happening right now in the Western world, um, you know, uh, over identities becoming a kind of new platform for proxy wars and division between groups um, in this never-ending cycle of, you know, grievances and, and it becomes an industry, it gets taken up by the cultural elites, it becomes, it, you know, it becomes like a, it's, you know, it, it, it does become like an industry. We've got the grievance studies industry, which is what Peter Bogosian and others call it. So my question is, you know, is, is what's happening, Say if, if Iran's aim aims to establish a society like you know a Western style society, is that just is it is it a revolution or is it just the prelude to a never-ending cycle of you know these kind of seemingly impossible um, situations that, 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 these kind of disputes that are impossible to ever settle? You know, like what do you think about that? I think it's a bit above my pay grade the question <laughs> no um you know i think um i mean we, we've talked about this we and, and i don't want to move so much away from you know like what is happening right now in iran just kind of talking about like reminiscing about like you know uh memories um so what i do is social justice and i try to focus a lot on the layers of oppression Right. So um, and I always say we had a hunger strike um, in San Diego um, a little bit ago and we had a wish tree and we had a circle just kind of talking about what we wished um, for like a free. You know, Iran free world. Right. Um, what what our vision would be. And and I always say that I like to put myself out of a job. If I don't have a job, that means that we are doing something right, right? If we don't need someone to be a social justice activist, if we don't have, if we don't need someone to sit down and talk about layers of oppression and, and um, 
if if we if we can have a day that that we can regardless of what you know level of society we're in um and whatever those levels look like right um if we can kind of sit down and and not have stories of a privileged girl like me reminiscing and and finding similarities between her life and a a a child bride right if if we can have a world that those those similarities don't exist um i think we we've done something right i don't know how idealistic that is but um and 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 i do want to bring it back to to what is happening in iran right now um this is why having the no leadership um is so important having this women's movement is so important um and again um this having a women's movement it, i mean focusing on women's issues does not mean that men don't have issues right that's that's I mean, we i think we're pretty clear on that and i think everybody is should be pretty clear on that that when we talk about women's issues we're not saying that men don't have issues what we're talking about specifically i'm just going to use iran as an example it's very similar in other words in other parts of the world i'm just going to use iran as an example because this is what we're kind of talking about but in iran if there is a thousand problems right and men uh, and women have a thousand problems right 900 of those problems men also have it right so when we're talking about women's issues we're not we're not saying we're not going to talk about those 900 problems that men have because those are common problems everybody has them right what we're saying is these 100 problems are just at a deeper level right there there is the layer of oppression there that exists that if we can resolve these 100 problems automatically you have addressed all these other 900 problems that are kind of happening to the country in general right so um i know i didn't answer your question but <laughs> but um i think um i think maybe your question is a bit more more than what i guess my knowledge well, kind of to be fair answer. yeah to be fair the question is a difficult one but it's just something that occurred to me you know yeah. i mean don't get me wrong the question is maybe impossible actually to answer so don't get me wrong yeah i think you did a decent job thanks for thank you thank you so when 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 the revolution not if but when the revolution when. takes place and iran is in a different in a different place a different regime what what do you think or what do you hope its place will be in the region and the world what will its role be in the in the greater region and in the world perhaps as well tough question i know <laughs> well you have to sort of like agree with the border lines and the structures and the global standing <laughs> there's well, a you, lot <laughs> you don't have to be an expert we 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 want to just know your perspective absolutely i know but um so I I don't like comparing, right? So one of the things that again, layers of oppression, right? Um, we've had, um, and I will, I promise, I will answer your question. But we've had over eighteen thousand people that have been arrested in Iran right now, right? 
um, from different groups. Many of them are nameless. Uh, many people are getting the hanging, um, um, the execution, the the execution orders. Right, uh, they just executed someone. Ex executed someone um, yesterday, um, and and amongst these people, um, we have um, Afghans who live inside Iran, who are um, being kidnapped, missing. Um, are getting um, uh, with sham trials. It's I don't even I, I don't even want to uh, I, I don't even want to call it a trial. It's just I I don't know what to call it. Um, there's this uh, disproportionate sentencing that that is happening, and all of this is happening to everyone, obviously, but more so to minorities and ethnics uh, and, and people of ethnic groups and, and such uh, and such. And um, and one of the reasons for that is the Islamic regime for the past 40 years, at least, has had this this conversation of um, of um, the fear of um, these people are the separatists, right? These border towns and and they want to create their own like region and everybody's like, oh, we don't want Iran to like, you know, like be divided. Um, and then there's this other issue of, oh, these people are armed and there's armed militia in these regions and and so on and so forth, right? Um, this past 80 days has been amazing because you, all you hear is chants of, chants of people calling their, brothers and sisters of other ethnic groups and supporting coming into solidarity to sort of, you know, we have not had any armed militia. We haven't seen anybody taking up arms, right? With all of these horrible things that are happening, right? Um, I mean, in Baluchistan, um, in the beginning, um, the, there was, in one day, they killed like over 90 people at, at a mosque prayer, right? A Friday prayer. Um, and and a lot of a lot of the the ethnic groups from the beginning have been shot with live ammunition, whereas a lot of the bigger cities they've been using you know different things. Um, and and this is I swear it's related to your question. And the reason the regime is kind of doing this is because of this um, this 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 belief that that the Iranian people have this um, nationalistic. We are Iranians and like whatever, right? And and those people are not Iranians, and those people are against us, and they just want to separate, and they want to be, you know. Um, well, this whatever. is a classic tactic of fascist leaders, right? They they find Absolutely. internal internal enemies, and they they say, look, these people are unpatriotic. They are you know Iranian yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And this has been something that's been going on the past 40 years, right? Um, very intensely in the country. And and the fact that we haven't seen them kind of winning in, in this way, in this rhetoric. Um, I mean, when um, when Khodanur, I, I, I'm sure you guys have seen the picture. It's the, the Baluch guy that's sitting. The, the picture is from before. Uh, it's not, he, he wasn't tied to the pole during this past 80 days he was shot during this past 80 days but that was done to humiliate him prior this is a few months ago because he had some sort of a dispute 
So that's like a prior thing that had happened to him, but the picture's kind of gone viral. Um, there was a lot of rhetoric from the government that, oh, that like he's not Iranian, he's Afghan, or like a lot of those, the, the people that live in Baluchistan and those areas don't have birth certificates because of all the discrimination that's happening, right? Um, so, so to your question, I think what we are seeing now, and I'm very hopeful that that this is something that we continue seeing is Iranians are come kind of coming together and realizing that all of these different people, different ethnicities, different languages, different belief systems, um, they are human beings and we can all kind of live together in harmony. And I would love us to not have any wars and discrimination and um, a lot of, um, I mean, we have a lot of internal things that we kind of have to work on. Um, there's a lot of a lot of um, racist issues that we have inside Iran. Um, as far as foreign policy is concerned with where Iran should be or how how it should be, um, people are gonna hate me for this, but I'm not nationalistic. I don't I don't have that um, belief system necessarily. Um, I I think that again, and I'm not inside Iran, right? Uh, I don't necessarily view America being this like power, you know, whatever, policing the world as a good thing. Uh, I wouldn't really want that for Iran either. Um, but those are just personal opinions, I guess. Um, I just, my hope would be that we would just live in harmony. There, It's just a beautiful region. We have um, a lot of cross-border similarities um, across our region. And I mean, I don't, I don't really care where those borders are. I just, I just think that people beyond those borders need to kind of consider themselves each other humans. I think it's a sign of the fact that the old blame game or blaming different uh different ethnic groups or minorities within the country it's no longer working from what you're telling us and then you do have the solidarity and it's it might be because you know regardless of where you are in iran i mean these issues are the same no jobs a lack of opportunity social and economic oppression and so i mean it seems that there's there's no one within iran who's who like it, it seems like there is a universal like uh feeling that things need to change and that the regime has to go and that the the tactics of the past uh just don't work anymore so this is just the the sense i get from what what you're talking about absolutely um and i i, I you know i i remember chad he really we we dug Chad especially dug really deep into the resources you gave us, which we will include at the bottom of this um, of this video, the description. But Chad, I was wondering if you have any questions related to what you learned um, in those um, in those documents. Well, I mean, I, a couple couple comments is just how how um, of of course we see that a lot of this is is led by women and and for that matter, girls. Some some under eighteen. Um, 
but also there's just a variety of, of people who are stepping up and a variety of people, unfortunately, who are, you know, falling under, uh, who've been injured, arrested, killed. And it's a very, very diverse group of people. It seems like ranging from people who are underage, a lot of people also though, of course, younger people, I think seem to be the, the, the major uh, focus of this teens, twenties, early thirties, but also I, I saw examples of people into their seventies as well. Um, do you feel like there's, there's going to continue to be that diversity or, or is, is there going to be more uh, bringing in people of different generations as we move forward, do you think? Um, I think, I think the, the diversity is going to be there. Um, I mean, I think the, the latest official, uh, uh, I don't mean official, but by government, obviously not, not, um, but, um, murders or deaths that, that were verified, like people that they could actually like put names to, uh, we have like 475, I think this is from, um, I think it was from the 7th um, of December was the numbers, um, 475. And I think um, 68 of them were uh, minors. So um, so that is a significant number, right? And the fact that these children are are being murdered so senselessly um, is, is, is having a huge impact on, on how and why this, this movement is kind of continuing. Um, I think, I think a lot of people, again, because this is so heavily um, considering political and human rights issues, I think it's a lot easier to kind of bring everybody out, right? Human rights issues are everybody's issues, right? Um, I mean, maybe somebody wouldn't really be bothered by I mean, if, if you're not a student, you're necessarily not looking for student rights, right? Or if you're not a, a labor, somebody that is like, you know, like white collar, like something, you know, those those could be issues that wouldn't bring everybody out, right? But 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 having, um, criticizing the political system is universal. And basically asking for your human rights, that is, human rights demands are universal right so i think i think because we have this system this 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 revolution this protest the demands being so specifically political and human rights related um i i think it is it is allowing for this this immense amount of unity within all these different um groups and not just ages i mean um, different religious groups, different ethnic groups, um, and and this is something that is that is very unique and very important. What do you think the healing and reconcil reconciliation will look like? There will be some people, as you mentioned, who simply have to be brought to justice for any chance of moving forward. Um, what at what level can there be forgiveness? At what level can there be people? The, the average street street police officer, for example, or riot police officer, is there forgiveness for that person, or does it kind of, is it on a case to case basis, or what does that perhaps look like? You're asking somebody in human, uh, in social justice <laughs> what justice looks like. Um, actually, um, there's this movie. Um, it's it's about the Madres de la Plaza, um, Argentinian um, 
um, what is the guy? Um, the Hunt has the um, the dictator that was um. I can't Peter think of Chet? his name. Um, Peter Chet? No, no, no. The the V. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Um. So, anyways, there was a um. It's it's a movie I actually just watched. It's just Netflix movie. It's not like a anything serious, but it's about the lawyer who brought the um the armed forces um um to trial. Um. Anyways, I can't remember the name of the movie. Sorry. Um. Uh, but that would be something that like what I would sort of see as success and something that I personally, uh, personal opinion would want is, is a trial. Like it happened for, you know, the mothers of the plaza in Argentina when, when they were able to kind of bring um, justice uh, and win against, you know, the, the, um, the armed forces that had committed the coup um, and all these women and girls that they were raping and murdering and, kidnapping and all of that or something like um south africa trials right after the apartheid um it's those to me would be more appropriate um because at all levels even the police officer that has done whatever crime they have done up to the highest level right will all be judged and trialed for whatever they committed, right? Obviously that the crimes of that police officer standing on the side of the street is not going to be the same as, you know, the judge who is sentencing kids to be executed, right? Um, obviously this, these are going to be different crimes and different proceedings, but, but for me, it would be, it would be a very lengthy process but it would allow for healing. Um, and the reason I kind of like the, the South Africa example is because there was a lot of healing involved, right? People were able to come and they could face their, their accuser, um, sort of like what happened with the um, um, the mothers of the, of, the, of the plaza, same thing. They were able to actually come. They were able to testify. They were able to talk about what had happened to them, how it made them feel, right? Um, like sort of a restorative justice kind of an approach um it would be very expensive and lately and it will it will take a, a lot of um i guess international um sort of involvement to to allow uh, to allow this to 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 happen um correctly right <clears throat> sorry correctly and accurately um to make sure that people are punished and judged for what they did exactly what they did um and and give time for those affected to kind of be able to to say their piece uh, and 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 face the person uh, who has done these um this horrific acts depending on where it is um I guess that would be what I would like yeah so I think um that's what I would like I would like a very much of a um international criminal court um trials um very much of a restorative justice kind of a approach um because my country needs to heal there is a lot of hatred there's a lot of 
all of these issues, these discriminations, this racism, all of this added anger, um, all of this, I mean, I I say it with, with like a smile on my face, but it's not funny. It's not, it's not a laughing matter. These are very serious um, and, and generationally they affect you and, 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 I can even see it, the differences between me and how I process things um, with my friends who grew up in Iran or other refugees that I see. It's it's um and working with refugees, it's it's something that you see that is it's very um very apparent. Um, all of these traumas that we're feeling um as a society, we need to heal. Um and and we can't do I don't think we can do healing with anger. I feel like anger and hatred, um, even though just, right? I'm not I'm not judging the anger. The, the anger is necessary, right? At this point, it's very necessary. I just think um, when the revolution happens, um, we need to move away from this anger and this trauma and, and allow um, this healing to to happen and and try to not forgive or forget. I mean, I wouldn't, I can't tell anybody to forgive, right? That's not that's easier said than done, right? Um, but but just being able to come to terms with with yourself and your feelings and 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 being able to have that conversation when it is necessary. Um, beyond just screaming and pushing and shoving and all of that stuff, which which is necessary when you're in the middle of a war, um, but but after that, I just I just want all of that to end, and for people to to be able to kind of move away from all of this trauma and and the whole region. And I mean, this is not it's not just Iranians, and it's not just the Swana, Mena, whatever you want to call it, that region. Again, that's also another terminology that is based on the British, but um, um, we want to talk about colonization. Um, globally, I just I just think there is just so much that needs to be done in 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 a way of of healing. And I feel like what better than than a woman's revolution to spark that? And I just, yeah, if I could just, I think one of the, that's one of the reasons why I think a voice like yours is really important. You've been really modest, actually, about yourself, you know, because you're an American now, basically. And you were saying, oh, yeah, um, because you're based in America and you know, you've been very modest about that. But the fact is, you, you are in, you are Iranian descent and you have family members there, presumably still, right? Lots of family. And um, I think that's important because you provide a link. To, and so do other people, Iranians I know, especially one who, a person who's an activist and, and, and involved in journalism and, and, and so on, because it's important that things that things can leak out from 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 there because of what we said before about the the, the, the the censorship and so on and so forth. So I think that's why you shouldn't, you know, you're very self-effacing, but you shouldn't um, maybe, you know, you shouldn't. Um, uh, be so modest in that way because I think it's important that people hear your voice because the thing is what people might think you know my friend told me that the western media don't always get it really you know like we don't always get the true um feelings of 
the people who were actually there for, for various reasons, like we've just said. So, for example, I was reading that, that you know, even this year before September, that there's been a massive increase in executions, for example. So Westerners might think, oh, yeah, this was all sparked by one woman's, um, you know, uh, refusal to wear the hijab, right? And, and Westerners might think, oh, wow, this is all because of that. But it's not actually because of that. This is because of a, 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 a this was the straw that broke the camel's back, really. I mean, you know, things have been building up to this, right? I mean. Yeah, and even, um, um, sorry, I'm going to check on time, too. How are we? doing yeah we were about to wrap up sorry well, just... we're, well this is yeah we we got we got a little more time and um and so yeah don't worry okay i'm gonna say it quickly then right. um so aside from the fact that since the late 70s this all of this stuff all of these actions have been happening um if we want to kind of focus on even this past um maybe a couple of years, even the past year, right? Um, we've had, um, I don't know if you've heard her name, but um, Sepida Rational, um, she was arrested for, um, <clears throat> she was in a bus, somebody, a hijabi person kind of basically yelled at her because she wasn't wearing a hijab and they got into this argument, even viral, whatever. They arrested her, the the Sepida, the, the girl who wasn't wearing a hijab. And um, she was taken and there was a forced confession of hers that was basically televised, which is a very, um, it's like a tactic of, of the Islamic government um, of Iran. And it's, it's been used many, many years, um, many times over. Um, so we've had that. And then we had, and, and this is, I'm just talking about just the morality police kind of stuff that's just happened this past, this past year, right? Um, we've had um there was a video that went viral there was a, a mother um she's standing she's standing in front of a um a van uh one of the morality police vans and according to what is happening like what you can hear um apparently they have arrested her daughter and all you hear is this woman standing in front of a van trying to stop the van screaming my daughter has a heart condition, begging them not to take her. Um, and then, you know, Mahzamini's issue um, of b being arrested and then taken away and, you know, dying in police custody, basically police brutality um, resulting in her murder. Um, and the Niloufar um, Hamedi is, is the... Uh, um, she was the journalist that was actually sent officially um, from the newspaper to go and make um, a report of what had happened. Um, she was arrested um, this this past um, basically few months um, um, because of the report that that she basically made of of Gina Massa. I mean, being in the hospital um, and what had happened. And the, the pictures that she had um, she had uh, taken uh, another journalist. These are all women. Um, Elahe Muhammadi. She was also sent officially from the newspaper she worked for, a, a journalist. Um, that, that she went to Sapes, which is where um, you know was Kurdish, where her family was, and she basically made a report. Um, and it's called um, um, "A Country Full of Despair." 
is is her report. It's the name of her report. It's very poetic, very feminine. I feel. Um, it, she's also arrested. Um, we have um, you know, the Afghan girls like Sahra Rezaei. She was a student at one of the universities in Tehran. She's been missing, um, since basically um October November. Nobody knows where she is. Um, there is um nine Arab activists that I know of their names, um, Iranian Arabs, ethnically Arab, not, I'm not talking about Arab, like country Arab, I'm talking about Iranian ethnic Arabs, uh, nine activists that have been arrested. We have children activists that have been arrested. We have had um, people, athletes that are now being arrested. Uh, there's just, all of these things are happening, right? Um, and and I think all of them is is just sort of gives you um, a picture of um, a totalitarian regime. I guess would be a good way of sort of describing religious autocracy. I can't say that word. Um, dictatorship, basically that um, that is basically doing everything that it can just to hold on to the power that it has, um, and and. And it's playing into people's fears. Why are you murdering children, right? Why are you raping girls? Why are you, um, wh why are you doing these things if it's not for, uh, if it's not to scare families? Because you can't, you don't have any power to 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 stop the generation of people who are coming into the streets. So you use tactics to scare the families. So the family is afraid of their 10-year-old getting shot, so they don't come out, right? We have um, two doctors. Um, I think the, the wife got 25 years and the husband got execution order just because they were in the street where a, a security force um, person was killed and they didn't help him. And they were doctors. So they are charged murder and and are getting execution and execution orders, which is really like all of these to me. It's just signs that that this government knows that it doesn't have any legitimacy. It knows that it doesn't have any power and can see it can feel all the pressure that is kind of coming and and out of fear and desperation is basically trying to, and I'm not saying that they're not calculating, they're very calculating in things that they're doing, right? So they know that if I pick on your girls, right? Uh, if I pick on your children, then the parents of those girls, the parents of those students, the parents of those children, then will basically do my bidding, not consciously, right? But because they just want to save their kids, stop them from kind of being involved, which yeah, which is not which is not working. I mean, it's it's not working, but 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 it I think it just shows the desperation of 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 this regime. and and there's two things. We can't stop because if we do, over eighteen thousand people can potentially be executed. Um, that is a very serious issue. 
and it is, and 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 we cannot have a repeat of what happened in the eighties. And we have seen it in the 80s and it would only be worse at this point. Um, and second, um, I think um, the good thing is that that um, that this holiness of um, of this government having this like godlike whatever tendencies and um, and being undefeated has sort of gone away um, because nobody will look at a, a government that murders 10 year olds and rapes 15 year old girls as as holy and <laughs> right um, um pure and and i really have a hard time uh believing how anybody in their right mind could could not be against what is happening um and I think those are good things. And, and and that's why I say when the government changes, not if. I want to say this has been uh, an amazing uh, episode. And I think you've informed a lot of people and you really shine light, not only on uh, your experiences your immigrant experiences in the States, your experiences as a social justice activist, but also your perspective on what's happening in Iran. And I remember, um, I just want to say this, the reason we got connected was uh, Marjan Musavi was one of our guests. And she came on and talked about dissonant theater in the Middle East, especially in Iran. And I remember just, it was such a great episode. I said, do you know of some other Iranians that could really provide a great voice uh, on our show. And, you know, she recommended that I reach out to you. And I was a little nervous because we've never met before, but I want to say that I'm happy you came on. And as a conclusion, could you, and we can include these links in the description, but maybe for some of, um, what are some good English language sources people could follow to become even more informed on what's happening in Iran right now? Um, so the link that I sent to you, Harana, is a is a human rights um, organization that works inside Iran. Uh, they do a lot of ethnic, um, they, they do cover a lot of ethnic issues. Um, they specifically work a lot with um, human rights issues. So um, anything from political prisoners to children issues and, and so on and so forth. Um, as I mentioned, and I think if anybody has a little bit of extra time, there is, it's over 600 pages. It's a pretty long report, uh, but they have just released a report on what is happening. Um, and they have a lot of nice graphs and, you know, pictures and all of that in there. And they have uh, divided up the numbers and all of that. Um, so I I think um, if anybody can spend some time and maybe go through that report, their website is very, very comprehensive. They have a very nice English um, um, Instagram as well um, that that um, that I that I that I think is good to kind of provide the information from. Um, they're they're good general information because they cover a lot of human rights issues. Um, as far as um, there's a lot of people right now that talk a lot about um, like Chelsea Handley, 
talks a lot about Iranian issues and she's she's pretty funny. She actually does a good job. Um, there's a lot of um Instagram pages that that basically um that that basically can um can provide information. I always recommend people to kind of look at all the different voices, but be wary of people who have only became activists since September. Um, I just think, uh, just, and the reason I, I recommend Harana is because they've been, I mean, it's a human rights organization and, and they've been very active for a very long time. Um, there are a lot of people that talk a lot of, and there's a lot of good things that are being mentioned, right? Um, Nazani Noor is one of the, act uh, she's not an activist, she's, she's an actress, actually, she's an Iranian actress, um, but um, she used to do some uh, political activism in within the U.S. spaces, um, and she's been pretty active on the Iranian issues, um, but again, those people, I would kind of look at with a grain of salt, I would say, um, but, but just look at who you're looking at, just make sure that Maybe they've been active more than just September on would be my recommendation. But anyone, I mean, from the right to the left, um, there is a girl, Haifa. Um, I can send you her Instagram. She's a she's an Arab Iranian activist. Um, I think she's based out of DC actually. Um she she posts in Arabic, in Farsi, and in English. Um, there is um another person, um if people are like big on Instagram, I'm not. I'm not sure. Uh, these would be the Instagram pages I would have. There is uh, a a Baluch woman's Instagram. I can send you. I have to look and see which one actually has uh, English stuff on it. There is um, Katy. She is in Sweden, and she writes in English, in Farsi, and in in um, Swedish. So um, there there are a few people. I would just say it's kind of. There's a lot of activists around the world that are kind of working on this issue. Um, my only, I guess, restriction or worry would be um, don't just follow people who've, who've started talking after September. Um, it, to Reactionary people sort of thing. Yeah. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Trying to look for the wording. Um, yeah, look, look a little bit beyond that, I think. Well, thank you so much. And, uh, you know, I hope uh, I know you're very busy and uh, but I hope we can connect again and uh, delve deeper because this I feel like we could go so many different directions. Um, and I appreciate you coming on today. Thank I know you. my thank co host do too. Thanks. Thank you, thank you so time. much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Ruta.